few months ago, I met in person for the first time with Dr. Mindy Pels. We had been talking previously about a very special customer she's working with, I should say patient. And we met in person and um, we each other didn't know what we did, right? We kind of started sure. thinking and then talking and then things kind of melded and realized there's these two halves of what's going on. And that's women's health, which in my opinion is the area that needs the most support. And there's people out there like Dr. Pell's doing this and, you know, growing community, growing support, growing number of women that have sort of been healed, if you want to call it that. And there's this gap that's being filled. And first of all, thank you for joining us here. Oh, yeah. No, I'm I'm so excited to have this conversation. I love where you're I love what you're saying, because you're right. It was like I felt like I met a hormonal soulmate when you and I first started talking, it was like, oh my God, you have a whole nother level of hormones that I haven't really even like discovered. So I'm really excited for this conversation. And I felt the same way because whereas we look at the innate, like here's who you are, here's your map. So we can kind of figure out your architecture and we can predict what you're good at, what you're not good at, but then what do we do, right? And we, we know a little bit about what, and you, you've you gone along and you've been healing women and you've written, you're now in your fourth book, I think, right? Yeah, fourth book and in contract with Hay House for the fifth book, which will be on the female brain. That's amazing. So, and, and just you're slowly chipping it away and telling the story in full in terms of here's how women need to be dealt with. And it's awesome because that's the biggest gap in healthcare right now. So it's what you're yeah. doing is amazing. So right behind you, I see <laughs> yeah. something, that yeah. giant pile of books. Yeah. This one, the prettiest book on the shelf. Yeah. <laughs> Fast like a girl. So this is what's coming out. Why like a girl. Yes, why, is that, why is that necessary? Yeah, you know, okay, so it's funny, there, there is a little bit of a story behind the title. Um, and then I'll explain why we chose to do to write a fasting manual for women. But I, you know, the there, there's this big gap, as you know, like there's this big gap in healthcare in very specific lifestyle information for women. And I watched this whole movement of fasting up, up here. And I watched all these amazing fasting books come out. And I kept thinking, surely somebody's going to write one specifically for women because women yeah. need to fast differently. And on my YouTube channel, I was really talking of teaching women how to fast differently of all ages. I was fasting differently. I wasn't just fasting the same way all the time. So I was, I kind of, I created this formula of how women should fast looking at literally millions of women. So uh, everything was documented on video. And then my audience said, said to me, can you please put this in a book? <laughs> and so, as you know, writing a book is not like a, like the easiest thing to do. Um, <laughs> but I have only, the, this is my fourth book and I only write books that I feel like if the information's not out there, I need to write it. So I, we, you know, I ended up starting to write it. And originally it was supposed to be called The Fasting Fix for Women. And right. that was kind of the slant I was going with. And one day I was running and I'm like, no, it, it, it needs to be like, you know, like throw like a girl, fast like a girl. Like it needs to be like, you know, we, we talk so much about women's physiology being different. Why are we trying to be, do things similar to men? And I actually ended up short, short, long story short, I ended up going to a relative who is, teaches uh, uh, feminist philosophy and I asked her, I said, 
is it condescending if we say girl? Like I can tell you as a 53 year old woman, I don't care if, if you say girl, but I know the whole world's a little sensitive right now. And she pointed me to a um, an essay that came out in the eighties called throw like a girl. And it was written by a feminist philosopher. And I read the essay and it's all about the biomechanics of a woman's body actually dictates that she throws differently. So the goal would not be for a woman to throw like a man. The goal would be for her to throw like her own body. And that to me is what fast like a girl is. The goal is not for you to fast like your husband or your brother or your, you know, your son or your best friend if they're, if they're male, but the goal is for you to figure out how to fast for your womanly body. And that's, that's how the title was born. So this is true, unfortunately, in, in everything. Right. Meaning like, you know, we, we talk about something like Alzheimer's and dementia and 80% of, well, it's like 85, 90% now of the research dollars are spent on men and a very specific cohort of like Western European white males. Right. And then you're wondering why are women suffering so much more? Yeah. Because you didn't study that half of the population. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and you're trying to take this and apply it here. And it, it's true for everything, including something as simple as throwing. Yeah. And, and the other thing is that, and this is what I hope this book does, is that we haven't given women the uh, um, opportunity to speak out and say that they are suffering. You know, I when I, when I was in clinical practice for so many years, I heard so many women that came in and they're like, I'm depressed. Um, I can't sleep. Um, I think I might get divorced. I don't know why my brain is thinking like this. I have pain. Like they list off all these symptoms. Um, and they said, I went to my medical doctor's office and I told them this and I left with an antidepressant prescription. And so what I'm hoping, and this is why I love that we are aligning our work together and I appreciate you really bringing this conversation to the world is we got to at least let women open up and tell us what they're, how they're suffering so that we can step in and we can help them. So what you just described is the thing that took us from we're a research company to we need to help the world and be consumer facing. My niece mm-hmm. had multiple anxiety attacks. And the last one, she actually ran away from home. Wow. And when I say run away, she was like a sweet, innocent girl. She was like standing across the street, you know? So, but for her, that was running away. Now that's big. <laughs> she left yeah. the note. We had the, the impact was there. She left her big dramatic note. So, and really what we found when we looked at her hormones, you know, there's this, the, the first sort of few days when your hormones are at their lowest possible she had this very steep deep i should say trench where she goes into where they're just she's far beyond the typical woman in in terms of how low the hormones go Mm. Uh, and so that delta value is much bigger for her and so that circadian rhythm looks more like this as opposed to like this right um she also has the worst vitamin d response so her ability to convert d2 into d3 horrible to transport the D3 to the cell, horrible. The ability to bind it at the cell, horrible. So all three steps of metabolic of that metabolic path, she doesn't do well. And this happened during peak COVID where all these kids were being homeschooled and she got zero sun in Toronto winter, right? And where was she not doing well uh, in her neural pathways was her dopamine uh, oh my gosh. binding really suboptimal so that's what triggered it's this anxiety response because hormones are off and and when you think about hormones we kind of put it aside as fertility pms but yeah. hormones are the foundation for potential brain issues like yes. so many issues and do you, we only mask the here's your depression pill here's your anxiety pill versus let's reverse engineer this a little bit 
and get to the root, right? Yeah. And you know, so in that, when I, when I hear you tell that story and there's so many women that have stories like that is if you, in, in a normal menstrual cycle, we have these down moments and, and the beginning of the menstrual cycle when we first start bleeding is a hormonal dip. And then coming out, out of ovulation is a hormonal dip. And for a lot of women, it's like the hormones build, 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 they're feeling better. And then boom, it like crashes yep. them down. So one day there's joyful and the next day they want to commit suicide. And it's very confusing to everybody, but especially to the woman going through it. Second thing that I, I want to say is that estrogen and dopamine and serotonin are intimately connected. So you need estrogen to make dopamine and make serotonin. And so if she already had that genetic profile, plus at that time of her cycle, she's going to feel it even more. Mm -hmm. And then the third part of this, and this is the one that has really got me propelled to write the next book, is that there's evidence, scientific evidence, that if a trauma hits a woman's brain when estrogen is low, that that trauma is going to stick, have a bigger mental impact on her than if it hits her at another point of her cycle when estrogen is higher, because right. estrogen is that protective of the brain. Super protective, exactly. And these little nuances, and this is actually something that you talk about, but it's like foundational in the book, like fasting to your cycle. That's right. This is a foundational thing of how a woman needs to think about this. So how does that work? Yeah. So it, you know, I'll, I'll go through a 28, 30 day cycle to kind of see it. I'll, I'll briefly go through it. But then I, what I also, once you understand it, you can eat to your cycle, you can exercise to your cycle, you can socialize to your cycle. So once you get the pattern and then you mix that with what your genes are telling you again, why I'm so excited about your work is that now we have a really complete hormonal picture for a woman to understand how to create a lifestyle that works specifically for her. And uh, so that's huge. Here's how it works. Day one through day 10, day one is the day a woman starts to bleed. You'd believe, you would be shocked at how many women don't know what day one is. Right. Like, like I've taught you, have you had this experience? Like <laughs> I've talked to more women. They're like, what's day one? I'm, I'm like, it's the day you have to use feminine care products. It's the day you're bleeding. Yeah. So that's day one. But from day one to day 10, estrogen is building. So all your hormones are low at day one, and then estrogen starts to climb. And then as you move into ovulation or somewhere between 10, day 10 and day 15, estrogen will hit her peak. Estrogen does well with like low carb. Uh, estrogen does well if you want to do extreme workouts. She's very forgiving when it comes to cortisol. You right. can have a lot of stress. You can push yourself in a workout. You can be a rushing woman and estrogen's not going to mind. And that is the front half of your cycle in, and fasting is, you know, the longer fast you can do it during that time. When we get into ovulation, this is another piece that I feel like a lot of women don't know. And men don't know this is day 10 to day 15. We've got estrogen at her peak and testosterone comes running in. And you women get a, a, a surge of testosterone in a five day period. The yeah. rest of the month, it's pretty low. So if you are married to a woman or you're in a relationship with a woman, you might want to know when her ovulation window is because that's when her libido is going to be the highest because yeah. of testosterone. The other thing testosterone does for us is it's our motivation and drive. So if you want to start a new project as a woman, do it during ovulation because you have the hormonal capabilities to do it. Testosterone, um, there's not, I, I'd be curious your opinion on this, but the research I've seen shows there's not a lot of foods you can eat to increase testosterone. 
Um, it does really, testosterone loves fasting. So it does really well with fasting. I, I don't know if you've seen you've other- seen So there's one food that I know, and we have seen 100% fasting drives testosterone. It drives this like, well, it depends on your hormonal cascade. There's some women, and I want to ask you about this. There's some women where it actually does the opposite, where it leads to this mm. fight or flight response. When men, I'm starving, there's problems war is coming battle is coming that's what we're wired for ancestrally so it creates this drive it creates a, a growth hormone testosterone boost in Makes some sense. women that are more estrogen dominant it's like oh i need to protect the children i'm going to become more estrogenized and store fat right oh, in some, interesting. Yeah, we, we see this sometimes and this yeah. is where you have these nuances where again personalization but when you map the cycle the way you do those type of swings are going to be less problematic for people because they're already doing kind of things according to their, their flow and cycle. Uh, but the one food we've seen that boosts um, testosterone is raw onions. Oh, Unique. really? Yeah. And I don't know what's going on there, but um, you know, Andrew, Andrew Tate is everybody knows who he is now. He yeah. eats four onions a day. He says no protein powders, no hormones. I eat four onions a day and that's my thing. And since he's been doing that, it's been boosting his testosterone level. So that's one thing, but there's supplements you can do also that kind of block the different pathways and conversion and give you a pool of what you yeah. want. So sorry. You, yeah, no, I, lo I, this, I love this. Um, I would say, again, you have to think about, I love going back to this primal idea of like, cause the hormones really take us back to what we yeah. primarily need. So I love that thought that men, it would rise because they got to go out and find food. They've got to get prepared for war. Um, it, you know, and in the cave person days, they often had to go far to find food. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and what I would say to that, to your comment is around um, some women take estrogen converting into fat. And I think you said estrogen uh, converts. Yeah. You know, you have to look at estrogen imbalance with progesterone. Right. So progesterone keeps estrogen in check. So I'd be curious if, do you have markers on the DNA test where you can yes. look at where progesterone is? Cause you, they're like twin sisters that have to sort of, they, they navigate each other. So if your estrogen is turning into fat more easily, then I would say first looked at, look at progesterone. So look for that balance between the yeah. two. Yeah. 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 The, the analogy that I learned years ago that I like is think of estrogen as like the fertilizer for your grass and you put in to make the grass grow, and then the progesterone comes along and mows it. So right. progesterone sort of makes sure that estrogen doesn't get out of control. So during that ovulation window, you have estrogen at its peak, testosterone at its peak, but you have a little bit of progesterone. And if progesterone didn't come in, then estrogen could get out of, out of, out of control. And then your body, the way it uses fat is a storage for things that are excess. So mm. it might, it, your body would just say, Hey, we've got too much estrogen here. Let's go ahead and store it in fat. So that, that makes sense based on who we've seen. Cause when we, we, when we see what we call phenotypically, here's how the genes represent what we consider to be estrogen dominant. And this it's very, it's coincidental that we're landing on exactly what you described is when the progesterone pathway is low and it's the estrogen pathway is dominant. Uh, and whenever we see co, we call them co-dominant, meaning that you don't have the phenotypic traits of what we call estrogen dominant, meaning the body type. And, and so that it's exactly what you're saying in terms of the genetic map equaling these traits. So, but we never thought about yeah. it the way you're saying it. Yeah. Yeah. And so it'd be interesting, like with your test to be able to see, okay, if you, if we know this is your pattern, then, yeah. you know, instead of just looking at estrogen in a silo, 
let's make sure we're supporting progesterone so it can, if, if genetically you're going to be predisposed to this high right. estrogen, let's make sure we're supporting with progesterone to keep her balanced. Yeah, Which, for sure. Yeah. That's and that's really the thing, cool. that's the thing about hormones. They don't work in a silo. Yeah. They work as a team. So, yeah. so, you know, that, that ovulation window, I, in the book, I called it the manifestation phase, because I feel like if women understood how powerful they were, when those three hormones came in, um, mm -hmm. you know, an underlining feeling for a lot of women is I'm not enough. That's, yeah. that is a, a real common female trait, I think for humans in general, but especially women. And so what I want women to know is, Hey, you're enough. And it doesn't matter what you do or who you are, but you are the most powerful during that time. And, um, I've even consulted men as they wanted to understand hormones. And I was recently last summer talking to a dad who was asking me about his teenage daughter that once her hormones came in, he was really struggling to figure out how to connect to her. And I asked him, I was like, do you know, do you know her menstrual cycle? And he's like, no. I'm like, do you, does your wife know her menstrual cycle? And she's like, no. And you know, most of the younger generation now tracks their cycle. Right. So I said, here's what you want to do. You want to find out when she's ovulating, when she has all these hormones. And if there's a conflict for you to resolve, do it during that time, sit down with her during ovulation. Cause she's going to be more hormonally prepared to be able to navigate you. Whereas if you wait till the week before her period, when progesterone's high and now all the other hormones are low, she's going to be much more inner and not want to talk to you. Mm, that's brilliant. You know, this timing things to your cycle is so impactful for women. And we, and because when you talk about um, sort of the one size fits all answers out there, someone is going onto YouTube or a podcast to figure out what do I do about whatever my problem is. It's usually scheduling things in the, the day. It's this 24 hour clock, right? Yeah. And it's like, what time do I work out? What time do I eat? What time do I, whatever. Scheduling things through, through the month, taking that same thing as strategy. Men do have a daily cycle. Like men have a menstrual cycle. Like it's every they day. Right? Yeah. And again, going back to all the research being funded through male participants and understanding what actually works is because we're looking at the wrong body, <laughs> trying to apply it somewhere else. So yeah, even when we looked at athletes with the US, US Olympians, and we found that there were some women that were struggling with injury and more so than men, more often, right? And when we tracked it for some time, there was very specific days in the cycle where the injuries would happen. And these women also produced more of a toxic uh, metabolite. So the four or 16 hydroxyestrogen versus the two nice, clean, healthy stuff. Right. So they're peaking in estrogens. They're now converting into a toxic metabolite and they're doing some heavy weight training and they're getting injured. At what right? point of their cycle? Was it at the, when estrogen, when estrogen was low? Uh, yeah, so it's third, uh, sort of third, fourth week. Yeah. 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 So, so it's funny. I'm so, you and I've never talked about this and this is like <laughs> one of my next things that I want to bring to the, to the exercise world is why do we have a weekly schedule for women? We should have yeah. a monthly schedule and the monthly schedule in general would look like you can go high cardio in the beginning, like day one through day 10. When you move into ovulation, when estrogen at, is at her peak, the tendon that the, or the ligament, the part of the muscle that attaches to the bone is very, very stiff. Yeah. And the tendon is very, very loose. So you're actually prone to injury because yeah. of the stiffness of that ligament during ovulation. But then when estrogen is low after ovulation and, and the week before your period, estrogen actually helps you make collagen. So you right. don't, you don't have as much collagen to protect you against cartilage damage. 
So as you move into the back half of your cycle, you should be taking, you can, you can do weights just slower, not a lot of jumping around. You should be leaning into more yoga. You should be doing more, more of the nurturing stuff. And then the front half of the cycle, do more of your hardcore workouts. And right, right. there's more a nuance to that, but it's so interesting that you notice that because that's something I've been talking about lately. Yeah, it's so cool because we, we're we're trying to do what you're bringing to the world and understand it a little bit better at this and and help women understand that it is a monthly cycle and in every day make the circadian rhythm isn't daily, it's monthly. It's a different that's rhythm. Right. Right. That's and right. so if you're not understanding that and not even know when, what day one is, you know, let's start there. So it's really cool. And, and the book helps people guide through that. So now are, are there days where you shouldn't fast yes. based on the cycle? Yeah. Yeah. So here's the, the best way to look at it. And this is why women have to do it different than men is that when we look at estrogen and progesterone, I call them twin sisters. We look at them like they're twin sisters with vastly different personalities. So uh, we talked about estrogen. She can handle a lot of cortisol. She likes glucose and insulin to be low. She'll really shine with that. But progesterone's completely the opposite. Progesterone, actually the week before your period, you're more insulin resistant and your body forces glucose to go up. Now ask any woman, the, what, you know, what do you crave the week before uh -huh. your period? They crave uh, carbs and we crave chocolate. And if you think about that in sweets, well, that's the brilliant body trying to tell you, give me more glucose so yeah. that I can make sure that I can make uh, uh, progesterone. Wow. The second thing that progesterone doesn't like is cortisol. So I always say when cortisol goes high, progesterone becomes shy. So right. when we look at fasting, what do you, there's two things you're doing. You're lowering glucose and insulin. And it's like exercise, it has a cortisol, a cortisol raising effect to it, making it a, not a good thing to do the week before your period. That's incredible. So now how do you, you know, so all the information that's out there is like, do I fast twice a week, uh, which is what we're hearing a lot of, right? Do I intermittent fast daily or is it like not eat for 24 hours twice? So what is the, is it like, is it the 16 hour fast that they're doing or is it like, yeah. I, so in the book, I, I talk about building a fasting lifestyle. And I, I really think this, this ties in well to what you're trying to do. We got to get out of this absolutes. There's you got to right. do it this way or do it that way, because our genes, our microbiome, our hormones, they're all unique at different periods of time. So in the book I, I created, I, I talk about the four steps to building a, a fasting lifestyle. And then I map out six different length fasts. Now, I, I, we use fasting, uh, I, I talk about it um, just as a general term, but if we really wanted to get into the nuance of it, it's time-restricted eating. So leaving longer periods of no eating. And in the book, I go everything from 12 hours without food to 72 hours, and there's six different marks that mm. different shifts that are happening in your body. Everything from autophagy, which is that detoxing of the cell and the cell repairing itself to stem cells in the gut will come in at 24 hours. Um, we've seen, there's great research and I've, I've seen it in my community that if you throw a 36 hour fast at somebody, it unsticks their metabolism and they're able to finally start to lose weight better. At 48 hours, there's incredible research that new dopamine receptor sites are born. And so, and the whole dopamine system gets rebooted. And then at 72 hours, we get the whole immune system gets rebooted. So it's, it's really about what are you trying to accomplish? And in the book, I show you how you choose which fast and time it now to your cycle and create this monthly program for yourself.
Yeah, and that's a big question because, like you said, there's some women out there not knowing what day one is, and right. some are not. Okay, this sounds interesting. You figured out why how how a woman should fast, but why do I even need to fast? I don't like what is this right. for? So I what you just spoke of is a foundational. Here's how your body is. You know, the train is better. But what are we also saying that, you know, your fibromyalgia, your endometriosis, your PCOS, is it dealing with all of that stuff too? Yeah. You know what? So the, actually, I, again, I, I can't believe we've talked so much and I have so much more to talk to you about. Um, <laughs> so have you heard of the thrifty gene hypothesis? No, no. Okay. So in research for the book, I came across this hypothesis and the hypothesis is that if we go back to the caveman days, cavewoman days, that in order to survive the harsh conditions, meaning they would go weeks, months maybe without food, mm -hmm. in order to survive that, there was a genetic profile and it's called the thrifty gene, meaning that your genetics are able to make ketones easier, you're able to survive without food easier. And out of that cave person day, the human that was able to survive those harsh, harsh conditions have this gene and that gene is still in us today. Now, it would be interesting, that's sort of a, a sort of, you know, code name for it. I bet we could figure out the actual gene name if you and I like looked into it. Sure, yeah. And then, I, and then I bet we could look at your test and say, gosh, you know what, if it's this gene, then we could look at people who have it and see if it's, if we've genetically morphed even beyond that. But the belief is that most people have this gene in them today and yeah. that when we're eating all day, we're actually going against our genetic desire and, and, and blueprint. So we're most humans are made to fast because that's what's in our genes as of today. So I'm not going to sleep tonight until I find this. <laughs> and I, I hope we're testing for it. And I'm going to go back because there's some genes, by the way, most of them don't have a single purpose, right? Mm -hmm. So it, it, we, we may be studying it for one thing, but it's known to do other things. So there isn't anything we report on for this, but there are genes we look at, for example, metabolic rate. UCP1 mm. like there's some women that just feel cold all the time yeah right it's like I always need a blanket so that is also tied to metabolic rate the same gene thermoregulation my ability to actually manage my temperature as per my environment and be equal to it also is my need to match my metabolic rate to my diet changes so if mm. I have swings there's some people that don't catch up to those swings as efficiently and yeah. so um the fasting might actually might be more impactful for that person because it's kind of a shock to the system. Yeah. Uh, and then we look at obviously the things like hormones, but there's also genes and um, anyways, really cool. I'm going to look that up. And so, uh, one, que so one, one question I have for you, just for my, for my geeky brain is that are there genes that we all have that are not like everybody has a certain amount of genes that we can say every human has these genes. Yeah. So the, the human genome project just got concluded this year. Oh, really? They, they mapped okay. out the entire human, human genome. So we do, so a human genome is static. This is what we look like, right? Here's okay. all the genes that make up our human instruction manual. So that's already so we're determinant. Now, what version of each gene we have that can be variable. And so this gene you're talking about is probably a particular variant of it, meaning the, right. the hyper-efficient version of it. It right. already exists in the code. Um, so it's not that you have it or you don't have it, but how quickly or efficiently or what version or quality of it you have. There are some genes where you can have what's called a copy number variation, mm. meaning that it's the code, the gap is there. There's the slot where it was supposed to be, but mom and dad didn't give it to you or mom gave you a copy and dad didn't give you a copy. So you're missing half the instruction. So 
sorry, one, one place where this is really implicit is in the gut. Mm -hmm. uh, there's, and this may really apply to the work you're doing, and even somebody considering fasting. GSTM1 mm -hmm. is a glutathione gene that's protective of the gut. So when you're going out there eating your average American food, which our listeners maybe not, but the average American is, all that comes along with that food that is meant to be cleared, blocked, detoxified, according to our data, now keep in mind, our data is people that have an issue that they're trying to resolve. So somebody that has something broken that needs fixing, 49% of those people that came to see us in our sort of the 7,000 people we researched had zero copies, completely missing. Oh, wow. Gene, right? 46% had one copy, 50% okay. capacity, which shows you how deeply rooted the gut is to optimal health. Because whether they came from migraines, eczema, fibromyalgia, infertility, whatever it was, 95% of the people were suboptimal in this one particular gene pathway. Yeah, fascinating. Yeah. So, so then, and then my other question to you would be, if you see a genetic profile of somebody who is born to fast that like, yeah. like you have all the, the, the markers showing you should, you will thrive with fasting back to your other question. One of the things that I see is that sometimes we think of, of fasting as like this diet fad. And I don't look at it that way. I look at it as actually it's like sleep and yeah. exercise, like your body actually needs it to survive. But if you have a genetic uh, profile that shows you're going to thrive with fasting and you're not fasting, to me, that's going against your genetic design again. Yeah, I think if you look at human biology and you look at the genome, everybody is meant to be hungry. Everybody. Wow. It's a blanket statement. The difference is the efficiency at which we deal with all of the functions that happen when you're hungry and the the difference between how we can individually survive without food so that mm -hmm. that personalized plan so what you're doing is you're personalizing for women here's what your month looks like i'm going to make this a lot better for you that's that's your answer you're giving and even what the little that you described it just answers so many of the problems that i've seen with women trying to do this for themselves oh, so that cool. they're going to be they're going to go from here to way up here then once you get to like 90, how do you get to 90 to 100? That little perfection. And, and that, yeah. that's where there's little nuances in terms of like, for example, how well do you metabolize fat? What do you, and this yeah. is something you talk about, like, well, how, what do you even break your fast with? Right. Right. How do you, right. So we can yeah. talk about that, but that this is an example, like there's genes that metabolize starch, there's genes that metabolize fat, there's genes that give you the enzymes to break down beans, lentils, but legumes. So how do you structure your diet to be optimal? But what do you say about, Okay, now you've done it. Here's the best way to get back to eating. After fasting, yeah. And the other thing, before I move on to that question, the other thought I had is once you know what your genetic profile is for the food you should eat, then we could take that one step further and go, okay, and then here's the part of the cycle that you're going to want to lean into these foods. You may have already done that, but I think that would be like the net, it would be like a beautiful marriage of our two work. Exactly. It's a little yeah. too perfect. I'm getting shivers right now. <laughs> it's everyone. a little too perfect. <laughs> yeah. I, like, you and I both think we can solve the hormonal problem. And I think it's because yeah. we're going to work together to solve this. Yeah. It's, it's it's amazing. So, yeah. um, but to answer your question, so a lot of the criticism in the fasting world, especially when it comes to the microbial world, is that the changes are temporary. And once you go back into food, now you've, you've created, you know, you're back with damaging your body. And so what I started to do with our, our community is look at what people th thrived on when they broke their fast. And it came down to three things. So the first is protein. Um, I really strongly feel like 
especially women, we need to be eating more protein to build more muscle. Now, in light of this conversation, I'm like, if you're genetically programmed to eat protein, are there certain people that are genetically programmed to eat protein? Well, there's two things with that. It's the fats that come along with proteins, the saturated fats. Definitely, we see big swings of people that go on the keto diet that were not designed for it and feel horrible. Mm -hmm. Some people thrive. And it's also the charring. You're cooking meat. You're oh, often yeah. barbecuing, grilling, and the, the blackened stuff that you have to deal with and the yeah. ability to detoxify. So for some people that can make them sick. And the third thing is the histamine response. So when mm -hmm. it comes to meat, especially one day meat in the fridge, they unfold, right? So when it's like leftover, so that's another area where some people struggle and they can't figure it out. So you can be a little precise about in general. Yes, everybody protein. Yeah. Yes, 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 yeah. yes. Right. Yeah. And How do you handle it? Yeah. And so, and from the fasting perspective, we have to remember that there's going to be some version of autophagy your body's going to click into when you fast. Now, I think of each one of the healing uh, of these six different fasts as like a switch that gets turned on. So like intermittent fasting, 12 to 16 hours or 13 to 16, somewhere in there, we see growth hormone go up, testosterone go up, inflammation come down. Autophagy kicks in around 17 hours, but it's like a dimmer switch. It's like right. it starts to slowly turn on and it may even turn on earlier than that. So we want to think of it when we're in our fasting period, as we're in the state of autophagy, where the body is getting rid of the bad, it's getting rid of the old. So think of it, people call it detox, but I think of it as just the body's repairing, it's getting rid of what's no longer serves it. So when we re-enter back into food, now let's feed it something for growth. And that's mm -hmm. what we would call more of an mTOR pathway where mTOR is in this, you know, we want to mm -hmm. grow muscles. We want to grow, you know, hair. We want to grow uh, collagen in our skin. Things like that is going to come from stimulating mTOR. So the best way to combine this autophagy mTOR situation, because they're, they're like night and day, they can't be mm -hmm. happening at the same, same time, is when you re-enter back into food, make sure you're getting at least 30 grams of a protein, because 30 grams will stimulate an amino acid receptor site in the muscle that stimulates mTOR and tells the muscle to grow stronger. Mm -hmm. Now, when you have more mu muscle, wh whether you're a man or a woman, you muscle has insulin receptors in it. So right. as you grow muscle, you become more insulin sensitive. So for perimenopausal women, menopausal women that are like losing muscle left and right, we need to put them at the right time of their cycle, if they still have one, into the state of autophagy and then come in strong and break that fast with protein so that we can build the muscle up more than just sending her off to the gym. We can actually mm. build it with food. So, so that's how I use protein. Hey guys, get ready to celebrate the season of giving. The DNA Company is spreading some holiday cheer with our 12 days of Christmas event. From December 13th to the 24th, we've partnered with some companies that you know and that you love to get exclusive access to 12 days worth of amazing giveaways. We'll feature one special partner and giveaway each day, so don't miss your chance to win. Let's make these holidays extra special. Join the fun, go to thednacompany.com, subscribe to the DNA Company emails, and follow my account at cashconofficial, K-A-S-H-K-H-A-N official, as well as the DNA Company at the DNA Co on Instagram for both of them for multiple chances to win. The second one is all about the microbiome. So we've seen with fasting that at different length fasts, you're going to see a lot of changes to the microbiome. And there's some really interesting ones. Of course, we see the bad go away. 
This is why you get a lot of people when they fast, they'll get constipation or diarrhea. The body's just sloughing off everything. We also see that good start to thrive because the internal environment is starting to change with stem cells coming in um, and the body you know, not having food, like the things like candida don't have anything to eat, so they die off. So it's like a terrain change inside the gut. But the third thing and something that I don't know if you know, Dr. Emran Mayer, but no. he, wrote, he wrote a book called The Gut Immune um, uh, Response. And he taught me, I brought him on my podcast and he taught me that when we fast, something happens to the um, geographical location of the microbes, that inside the gut, the microbes like to stick together. And when mm -hmm. we fast, they start to spread apart. And the spreading apart of these microbes is really important for when you eat, you're going to pull more B vitamins out of those foods, more, more of the nutrients that are in the foods that you can actually use. But when we've got too many bad guys and we've got this clumping of the microbes, I could give you the healthiest diet on the planet, but you're not going to be able to absorb the, get the nutrients out of it that you're looking for. So for anybody, any woman that's been on birth control for decades, um, steroid use, uh, antibiotics, then what I like to do is put them into different length fasts and then have them break their fast with what I call the three P's polyphenol, probiotic, and prebiotic foods. So you look at it like you're, you're feeding these good bacteria so they can start to grow in this new environment. Hmm. And, that, and then the third one is fat. And, and this is really based off research that shows you can actually elongate your fast by just having a fat bomb. They call it a fasted snack. And you can just keep, you could, like, if you want to go 24 hours and at 12 hours, you're, you're, you're like, I'm hungry. If you just have a bunch of fat, like uh, nut butters, even though it has a little bit of protein, an avocado, you know, this is why MCT oil and coffee works, um, that if you don't spike your blood sugar, you'll still get the same metabolic benefits uh, of eating. Yeah. So a fat bomb allows you to curb the appetite without yeah. breaking like the caloric restriction thing is just, you're not, your body doesn't even know yeah. what happened. Yeah. There's really? actually a study that I quote in the book and I get, I have a whole section on the fasted snack. And because what they did is that they showed if people had a fasted snack and they elongated their fast two more hours, they got the same result as people who just went the full time and didn't eat the fasted snack. They got the same, they lost the same amount of weight. Their insulin and glucose came down as long as that fasted snack didn't elevate their blood sugar. And how long can you keep that going? Uh, well, you know, there's such a thing as a fat fast. So you, I think you, as long you could keep it going for, th you know, three, four days, if you wanted to keep it, like if all you want to do is eat fat, um, you'd, I'd encourage somebody to get like a glucose monitor or a ketone monitor. Right. So you could see, make sure that you're staying, your glucose isn't spiking, but in general, you would get many of the similar benefits just doing fat. So someone that gets into say autophagy, you know, 17 hours, they can hold on to that for like a week if they went on to a fat fast. Technically they could. Now autophagy is a little bit different because autophagy is not just blood sugar, it's nutrient sensing. Right. So it, you trigger autophagy because blood sugar is going down and nutrients are going down. So I, there's it, the fat bombs are hard to find. So if you, like my favorite is a keto cup. It's just pure MCT oil and cacao and it's, okay. and it's yummy. So there's no real protein in it. So it doesn't have the amino acids that like 
nut butter would have or bone broth would have. So it will help you elongate that fast, but not take you out of autophagy. So the fasted snack would really matter if you wanted to stay in autophagy for a week. We keep finding these weird genetic traits as the more we dig, the more interesting stuff there is. So I'm going to test this on myself because we found that brown people like me, meaning South Asian, Indo, Pakistani, Afghani, that region, mm -hmm. <clears throat> trigger an insulin response from saturated fat, equivalent oh. to Western European on starch and sugar, which is a really unique nuance. And it only happens in this one region. So we don't know why yet the, the genes that drive that we know, we know the outcome it's been measured right. and proven, but we don't know why. Uh, and this is why there's so much heart disease because it's imagine eating fat is like eating sugar. So it's, it's, we genetically, the hearts are actually very healthy. The endothelium is a little off and this uh, sort of phenomenon of fat triggering, but I'm going to test it because I think if it's like, like you said, um, the, the challenge is we don't want to converting into glucose and that's what ends up happening with something going on in my genetics. I don't know what it is, but I'm going right. to test it and see. Yeah, test it. Uh, yeah, that's a really, really cool. So you would do, you, do you do MCT oil? I would in this case. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah, do you yeah. do coffee? I don't drink coffee, so I'll have to figure out what to put it in. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, put it in, uh, put them in, or I don't know if you do any of the mushroom coffee that's out there that doesn't have caffeine in it. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Tried a couple of those things. So we'll try yeah, it. Yeah, this is awesome. And yeah, then sorry, but, I cut you off. You were still going on. About no, no, I think, again, this is why it's like, I mean, the world's getting an inside view of why you and I are geeking out on each other's work because, you know, there's so much nuance to fasting. And yeah. as the trend has really become mainstream, we've got people that are like, my life has changed by fasting. And then we have people that are like, but wait, I'm not getting the result with fasting. And, you know, so then, then, and this is what happened to women is we got to this place where people were like, well, women shouldn't fast. And my, and I, it, as that was coming out in the media, I was thriving with fasting. I was getting my perimenopausal symptoms under, under control by fasting and by varying my fasts. So when I dove into it, I was like, wow, there's so much nuance here for you to yeah. customize fasting. And when I hear you talk, I'm like, and there's another layer. And this is why in medicine in general, we need to get out of this one size fits all. Oh, yeah. But can't especially wait. for women. Yeah, especially for women. It's just the, the relief that sigh. Can't wait for that global sigh of relief. You know, Right. <laughs> Here's the app that does my stuff. And this is me. And it's not about what everybody's saying. But, you know, it's it, so you actually just reminded me of something where you. Um, so just like you said that when it comes to the gut, the fasting allows for this environment where the flora can sort of expand and, you know, jurisdictionally move around and be, you know, ideal. Uh, the same is also true of the flora you don't want, mm -hmm. meaning that, um, there, so there was a research project here in McGill, which is in Montreal, you know, a few hours from us. And they, they were looking at the connection between the gut microbiome and fibromyalgia. And mm -hmm. they were trying to, they were trying to sequence just like you sequence genes, this gene equals this. They were trying to do the same with the gut. The gut's a little more complex. Uh, and so um, that type of thinking usually doesn't lead to a definitive answer. Mm. And so we jumped in to bring our functional thinking to what they were doing to see what are we seeing that they can't see. So what we saw was that they were right, that there was a certain strain that was connected um, to fibromyalgia in women. Well, we, they didn't understand. It wasn't the strain causing it. What was happening is this particular strain of flora is not what we're meant to have. And why was it then there and flourishing? Because the foods these women were eating 
high in refined sugars were feeding that particular strain. And now that strain was thriving. And what that also means is the other strains, the other flora, which you want that are protective are not thriving because they're not being what they need, right? So now this particular bacteria, this, that that's thriving, the excrement of it is highly toxic. Yes. Yes. So they were feeding this thing that was creating toxic poop. Right. That was creating a massive uh, sort of outcome of inflammation that got bucketed as fibromyalgia, but really wasn't. Right. You just head to toe inflammation that couldn't be really like, what is this thing? It sounds like fibromyalgia. So all the so fasting was part of the solution because right. now all of a sudden you're getting rid of this thing that's being fed to, to flourish and produce this stuff that you don't want in your body that was leading to this crazy inflammatory state. So yeah. you have to think yeah. of things a little more functionally. And when you do, you can resolve stuff at the root root cause, right? Oh my God. I love that story because the microbiome is so pivotal for so many things. And when you look at just the common American diet, it's just continually res- damaging it. Yeah. And this was one of my dreams for fasting, at least here, you know, in America, I'm going to throw Canada into the American yeah. mix now, like North America um, is in the Western cultures. Let's just put it that way, is that we are as people wake up and they realize, gosh, the food I'm eating is really destroying my health. Now, what's their next move? And if they make a next move into supplements, supplements are great, but how do you know which supplement to to hit? Now you guys have a whole different way of showing uh, how to time your, get your supplements right for you. But the majority of people are going to go to Amazon and type in like I'm bloated and they're going to pick like a probiotic off of Amazon. But I, I spent so many years in my clinic, like with fancy supplements, high-end supplements, trying to create a change in the microbiome. And then once I found fasting, I stopped prescribing any supplement. And I would just say to people, we're going to do some fasting. We're going to build you a fasting lifestyle for 90 days. And if the gut problem doesn't go away, then we'll come back and look at supplements. And I would tell you nine and a half times out of 10, we, we never needed the supplements because the, because fasting handled it all on its own. That's awesome. It's truly right? awesome. Yeah. And that's, and- that's how we're going to help. Like, what do we do with the single mom? that's working three jobs and like, doesn't know, can't get good food or, you know, doesn't know what supplement or can't even afford supplement. I mean, fasting is free and it's time efficient. So once she knows how to do it, now she has a door into health that um, used to be very expensive and now it's free for her. Yeah. You know, think about these ancient cultures and traditions that I I don't even remember where I read this, but where um, they would consider the days when food wasn't available as a blessing because they got to fast yep also and that was the reality of way back when where you didn't know what you were going to get and there certain days where it just wasn't happening somebody would come back from work with an empty bowl you know and okay we're fasting today great because now we get to connect with whatever we believe in right amazing if, if a woman wants to start is it like here's the instruction get up and go or do you have to build up to it is there like this phase where you yeah, yeah there's okay yeah so in the book i have a pre i call it a pre-reset i i actually did a 30-day reset fasting reset where you just time the point of your cycle that you're on and then you would just go 30 days through but you're going along with your cycle so and i and i explain it all in the book and then i have a two-week pre-reset the two the things you're going to do two weeks leading up to this 30-day experience 
And I'll give you a couple ideas of what they are. Um, for starters, you're going to need to make some good food, lateral food changes. To your point, we talked about um, oils. I think that oils are the thing that people get wrong the most and mm -hmm. getting the inflammatory oils out and swapping in the good ones. I, I have lists in the book about what all those are. I also think when we look at carbohydrates that we, of course, love the refined flours and sugars, but what the keto movement got wrong is that they villainized all carbs and they said carbs are the enemy. I don't believe all carbs are the enemy, especially hormonally. It's I think women should focus on nature's carbs. Like we don't need to get rid of fruit and squashes and root vegetables. There's a lot of healing and food that comes out of the earth. Um, yeah. But what we need to do is get rid of the, the man-made refined carbohydrates. And if you do that and you just switch over to nature's carbs, then the next day, and as you start to go into fasting, it becomes easier and easier. And then the, the, the last switch that I encourage is that you really start to just stop looking at when you wake up in the morning as, okay, I'm gonna have my coffee, I'm gonna have my breakfast, and then maybe I'll eat every couple of hours because my energy goes down or a lot of women think they should speed up their metabolism. It speeds up their metabolism. We have to start to look at eating as a compressed time. Mm -hmm. So for example, I, I did today at noon, I knew I had a break in between interviews. And so my brain said, okay, I'm gonna open up my eating window. I've now been fasting 17 hours. I'm gonna open my, up my eating window. And I went into protein and vegetables. And then I'll, I'll be snacking throughout the afternoon and have one more meal before I, you know, at night. So it's, we gotta get out of the all day eating and create a window of eating, leaving a longer period for fasting. So, and then you see, so when you go on Instagram today, right? Or TikTok or whatever, you're getting hit with all these fitness influencers that are giving their advice for what worked for them. And one question we get, so I don't know what your answer to this, because I don't know the answer. Uh, I train, I want my giant booty and I, there's a certain amount of protein I need to eat, right? Uh, when, how do I fast? Because I have to work out in the morning before I go to work. I need to eat right away. So how does this relate to the sort of the workout cycle? Yeah. And so there's so much nuance there, but I'll give you my favorite one, a way to combine fasting and food and working out to build muscle and performance. And I've seen it work over and over again. So you, you work out in a fasted state. I found that most people like to work out in the morning. Um, if you are like, I could never work out in a fasted state and you work out in the morning, try eating a really protein packed dinner Right. Um, and you might be surprised at how much power, how much more power you have in the morning, but you want, you want to work out in this fasted state. And then when you come home, you want to go into protein like immediately. So I'll give right. you an ex example, like on the days that I work out at six thirty in the morning, uh, those days I won't fast as long because okay. I'll come home and I'll have a protein shake or I'll have eggs or something that has 30 grams of protein in it to build up my, my muscle. That's, that's the purpose of it. But then if you continue throughout the day, and I'd be curious genetically what you find with this, the research shows that protein to build performance and to build muscle is best when we divvy that protein up every two to three hours. So it, it's called protein cycling. So every two to three hours, you do another 30 grams of protein. 
And by the end of the day, I, I do believe that if you're trying to really improve athletic performance, build muscle, so a pound um, of or a gram of protein for a pound of, of body weight um, is, is really beneficial. I don't know what it is in, in kilograms, um, yeah. but, but in general, you're, we don't eat enough protein, but you want to divvy it up throughout the day. And then that's going to allow your, you to get the most out of your, um, out of your workout. So you have the power to work out. You've now used your nutrition to build muscle and you've fasted to be able to burn fat and lean yourself out. And mm -hmm. we used to, in my clinic, we would have like 50 year old, old uh, Spartan racers that were killing it in competition, like new records because they would use that principle around some of their tougher workouts and around their competition. Instead of protein loading, they would, I mean, it's carb loading. They would do the protein cycling the, the days leading up before it combined with the fasting. Hmm. That makes sense. So, so really the answer is you should be eating right after training. So the people, yes. there are some people that say that I still work out in the morning, but I'm still fasting. So I'm going to eat at 1 PM. Yeah. So they're really you know, getting the benefit of their work. So it's timing, really. You either have to shift your workout time or That's you're right. not fasting every day. Yeah. 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 And it's what you're trying to do. You know, if you're just working out for mental health or you're not yeah. like trying to change your physique in a, in a dramatic way or, you know, or you just, you know, you don't have a real big fitness goal, then you can keep going. But if mm. you're for muscle specifically, you really want to build up that use, do the formula that I just said. And, and the best example I can use is that I do, I do a lot of yoga. And the yoga community that I'm with, we've been doing yoga together every Sunday morning for years. And one day, this 60-year-old woman came over to me and she goes, Mindy, what, what are you doing? Like, your muscle is growing. What, what workout are you doing? And at the time, I literally was just doing yoga. I was doing no weightlifting. I wasn't doing anything. But I was testing out the protein cycling mixed with the fasting. Yeah. And, and to have somebody else tell me that they could see a difference was like, wow, that's incredible. So you're just poking at a really cool fact that we figured out. Excellent. Which is that, so the androgen receptors that, that bind the testosterone for you. Um, so first of all, when I look at you, you look somewhat androgenized, meaning that, you know, point to your chin, more testosterone, right? Yeah. Just the phenotype is there, which means it's already, there's more, there's enough free flowing. And typically that it means there's more testosterone, but probably more efficient binding. One of the things that we've learned that really triggers the receptors to go to work and use all the testosterone is stretching. And in yoga, you're doing a lot of stretching. So this is why, yeah, this is why so many women get so much benefit from yoga because it's the thing that actually activates their androgen receptor. What? Yeah. So it's like a, it's a complete hack where you're, you're doing a lot less work, but the testosterone is getting to work. Oh my gosh. Okay. So now I'm going to take this one step further because- <laughs> When we go into perimenopause and menopause, technically our testosterone's not supposed to go down. It's just our progesterone and estrogen that go down. But in this day and age, we're seeing so much stress in women in their 40s and 50s. And they're in these driver roles, you know, working yeah. really hard. And they maybe they've got kids still or kids going off to college. And so they're using their testosterone up at the end of the day. And when testosterone gets used up, the body uses in a woman's menopausal, perimenopausal body will grab uh, estrogen and right. try to use estrogen in replace of testosterone to perf get through the day cognitively and, and motivation wise, which means at the end of the day, she's totally depleted of estrogen. So what right. I just heard 
is that, wow, women over 40 specifically need more yoga because it's really testosterone. We got to protect testosterone so that she testosterone doesn't grab from estrogen. And right. we now have identified fasting is going to help a woman protect, protect testosterone and yoga. Yep. And it, it helps. And we even, there's some women that we find genetically are somewhat co-dominant, meaning they, they can literally swing either way based on their habits. So some are androgenized, estrogen dominant, it's there. Some are doing both at a dominant level. And so these are the women that when they have that stress that drive, you know, where their testosterone levels or they're using all their testosterone and they use a DHT, they'll start getting acne and their hair will start falling out. It's too much DHT. When they take a step back and they relax and they're not doing that stuff, all of a sudden their body changes and their mood changes because they get more estrogenized, right? So this is where we've sort of played with it because this is the, the individual, both in men and women, by the way, where it's very easy to change their body because of how they're co-dominant. Uh, and that binding of the testosterone is the one factor that's sort of the easiest to manage. So use the testosterone, use it, use it, use it before you convert it into estrogen. Another thing you said about the uh, one more hack, I'm going to tell you. Yeah, no, I just, this is like, like, I hope everybody else has enjoyed this as much as we are. Cause I'm like, wow, that's so cool. Okay. I forgot this was for other people. I thought. Yeah, this was- <laughs> I totally are we still recording? <laughs> I totally did too. <laughs> so, so another thing we learned that thing you talked about with the stress right so I'm, I'm i'm grinding there's too much going on it's it's stress is like driving in something that i don't like right that's stress right. yes uh, right when it's when it's painful when it, that's that's stress but the same amount of effort the same amount of drive without the pain is not stress yes right, right. so when you do that it actually calls for more testosterone. So think about the warrior mentality, the athlete that is kind of leaning in, wanting to do it, that calls the body to to develop more testosterone. And that heightened testosterone creates more drive. And that more drive creates more testosterone. And it's just a vicious cycle forward until you're this athlete that's like screaming at the hoop, like, ah, you know, when you get to that level, the opposite is also true, by the way. When you lean back and it's like, I'm not interested. This is scary. I don't want it. Testosterone levels drop. And that causes you to do more to like lean back and, and you kind of go back the other way. So all I'm saying to your point is for that woman that wants to do what you did, which is I have these great, beautiful lean muscles from my, you know, whatever I do. What my habits are. Yeah. If you have that stress or whatever, lean into something that gives you a sense of reward, right? Whatever it is that work that you enjoy, that you want to do the hobby, the sport, the whatever, the thing that creates a drive and reward is the thing that will keep your testosterone levels higher. They'll give you more drive and you end up going in that direction. And then it's easier to burn fat. It's easier to have those nice rippled muscles like you have, you know, and it's, it's a simple just mindset of like, I enjoy this stress versus I hate this thing and it's causing me actual stress. So does that play, does that play out in workouts or it probably plays out in everything? It's your day, your daily. Okay. So, so the other interesting part of this conversation is um, I had multiple conversations this year with John Gray, who wrote men are from Mars and women are from Venus. And he strongly feels that when women are in this driver role right now, that when we get, when we've been using testosterone all day, when in order to reboot testosterone, we need to dip into bringing estrogen, actually getting a surge of estrogen at the end of the day. And how we do that is by doing things that bring us joy. So to your point, I'm thinking, okay, so if I, let's say I hate my job, I'm a woman, I hate my job. I can't change it. 
what I just heard is, well, if we're going to bring testosterone up, let's a try to find some moments in the day that you like so that the stress isn't is as bad. But if I combine what you just said and what John Gray is saying, I'm thinking then it's even more important if you hate your day that whatever you do at the end of the day that brings right. you joy, you got to do that for your hormones and, yes. and testosterone being the major one. Yes. And people don't think of things like that. And it's no. people don't people in our culture, North American culture, that's almost like taboo. Like I don't do right. things for myself. Well, how right. is that going to create drive? But you have to, this is why we have community and we have pleasure. And these, these experiences exist because you actually need to do them, you know, to be balanced and healthy. So it's really cool. But yeah. Anyways, this is, I feel like we just started, but we've already. <laughs> I, know, I know. I'm like, this is, this is why we're doing a summit together because <laughs> yeah. um, there's so much to integrate here between my work and your work. And, um, and, and like, I, I want to say, like, I think we found this, the code, I think we've got the, the code to help women um, because it is. And, and I also feel like it's discussions like this that need to be had for both men and women so that we can start to understand ourselves a, a lot better. So speaking, yeah, so we should let people know about the, the summit that this uh, summer 2023, wherever, whenever you're watching this, uh, we're going to be bringing together 40 plus experts and for various topics. And we're going to, whatever you heard today, we're going to break apart at a much more detailed level, 40 yeah. conversations like this. It's going to be mind blowing. And hopefully that package put together is somewhat of an answer for people. Like if you go through that, it's like, I now get it. I now know what to do. So that's coming. But today, how do people get the book? Yeah, <laughs> thank you. Um, yeah, I mean, again, I, I'm looking at Fast Like a Girl as a conversation starter and, and a door into everything you just heard. You can go to fastlikeagirl.com. And uh, you'll learn, I mean, everything you want to learn about hormones, timing your, to your cycle, all of that is in there. There's a 30-day experience in there. Um, we've got an app that's coming out that will be like a companion guide to the book. So you can track your own cycle if you have one, um, and you can be able to see what, what fast and foods and even exercises you can do. Um, at some point, Cash, I'm just thinking about this. We got to integrate your stuff into that. It would be really interesting to integrate someone's genetic profile into that. Um, so, um, so yeah, so it comes out December 27th and yeah, let's start this conversation in the biggest way possible. And for the, my menopausal women, there's a ton in there for perimenopause and menopause as well. Cool. This was awesome. We got to do this it. again. <laughs> yes. Let's do it. Let's have that. We do it like 40 more times. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> awesome. Love well, it. thank you so much. Um, yeah, everybody listening, you. grab the book. This is going to be the work that Dr. Minnie's done. Remember, this is book number four. So you're getting the benefit of all of what she's learned from before applied into the context and sort of thinking of fasting. So uh, if you're going to do one thing for yourself, do this. It's just like you said, it's easy. It's it's not even, you're not buying anything. You're not consuming. It's like remove stuff, right? That's right. How do you do that? So it's, a, it's the easiest thing you could do uh, outside of say sleep to get yeah. your health to a completely different level. So yeah. thank you. This was awesome. Oh, thank you, Cash. I just, I, I can't wait to do this again. It was amazing. <laughs> Great.